in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessings, 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 blessings to you and to you. Assalamu alaikum, barukata adunai eloheinu. God blesses each of you. God bless America. God blesses all of America on this 4th of July weekend. Oh my, yes. This is where I usually am on the 4th of July in Atlanta. I am right here somewhere alongside Peachtree Road, blessing the magnificent Peachtree Road race. What a glorious wonder that race is. Of course, it's a true race for only some of the participants, the elite runners, and those racing for a t-shirt, and those racing against themselves, their previous times and records. For others, the race, or the run, or the walk, or the gathering, or the procession, is an event. It is an event of peace and goodwill and celebration. When I bless the road race every year, I am blessing all of America, the fast and the slow, the good and the bad, the black and the white and the brown and the colorful and the not so colorful, the gay and the straight and the LGBT. BTQ, those who get it and those who don't get it. If God is really going to bless America, God is not going to leave anyone out. That's what makes blessing the Peachtree Road Race so glorious. God is blessing everyone. Even, well, Atlanta is not having the Peachtree Road Race on the 4th of July this year. We all know why. But it will return. God bless its return. Even without the fun and wonderful road race, I still stand here. I still want to bless America, all of America, on this Independence Day weekend in the year 2020. We desperately need it. And I still have something to say about Independence Day in the United States of America in this time. Today in the Christian church, we rightly give thanks for this country's liberty and freedom. I salute Independence Day in this land. We call the 4th of July Independence Day. But I don't want to speak today about independence. Instead, I want to speak about dependence. I want to talk about how much we need each other, how dependent we are on each other. I want to observe Dependence Day. Over 200 years after our war of independence from Great Britain, I propose that it is not independence that holds this country together, but rather dependence. In fact, it may be that our various efforts of independence 
are what threaten to pull our country apart. In particular, I give thanks today for two realities upon which we are rightly dependent, not independent. First, we are rightly dependent upon God. The character of this country has always included various sorts of religious faith. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, America is a nation with the soul of a church. Our friend John Meacham, the former managing editor of Newsweek magazine and a faithful Episcopalian, some years ago wrote a careful and hopeful book describing our country's uh, religion. It was titled American Gospel, God, the Founding Fathers, and the Making of a Nation. Read it on this 4th of July weekend. He mentions faith in a very Anglican way. Toward the end of his book, John Meacham writes one short sentence which is worth memorizing. It's this. Democracy is easy. Republicanism is hard. What he means is that electing people and deciding legislative issues simply by majority vote is rather easy. But electing people and deciding legislative issues according to a constitution is quite difficult. Our country is not just a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. We are dependent, if you will, upon each other and upon a constitution. I am thankful for these two dependencies of our country. First, a healthy United States realizes our dependence upon God. That dependence should always lead to humility, not arrogance. It should always lead to charity and care, not haughtiness and provincial isolation. It should always lead to peace and not violence. Likewise, secondly, a healthy United States realizes our dependence upon the Constitution, a Constitution whose First Amendment provides the guiding religious genius of this land. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The separation of church and state has come to mean much more than that, but the principle is worth remembering and giving thanks for year after year. When European settlers gathered in this world three centuries ago, their firm religious sentiments were also solidly embedded in their political structures. It was unthinkable that a state or a country could exist without some accompanying established religion. And so to this land, uh, 
these folks brought their religious faith. They were Anglican, German Lutheran, Swiss and Dutch Reformed, Anabaptist, Quaker, Jewish, and Puritan. Let us never forget when we celebrate the 4th of July in our churches, the startling and sometimes conflicting diversity of religious expression in the early American colonies. When charters were granted to various individuals and companies in the colonies, those charters usually stipulated what sort of religious expression was to be allowed. This was true back in Western Europe, and it was to be true in the new colonies. Thus, religious passions often became the drivers of political division. We would do well in these days of religious, political partisanship to heed what our ancestors learned. Consider the old Roman Catholic Protestant antagonisms. Think of the Anglicans in Virginia and South Carolina who made church going compulsory and who used state tax money for the upkeep of Anglican churches. Well, maybe we in the Episcopal Church might like that. In Virginia, though, one could vote only if he were Anglican. Maryland, on the other hand, was established as a Roman Catholic colony. The Massachusetts and Plymouth Bay colonies were founded by groups expressly hostile to the established religion. Those Puritans prohibited the presence of the Church of England. The Baptists, too, were separating from the Church of England, but they were distrusted, in turn, by the Puritans. Roger Williams, who was banished from both Plymouth and Salem, Roger Williams ended up in Rhode Island with all sorts of other free thinkers, some so free and strange that it was said, if a man had lost his religion, he would be sure to find it in some Rhode Island village. Meanwhile, Presbyterians were immigrating from Scotland and Ireland. New York was strictly a Dutch Reformed colony. They resented the Quakers, who therefore went to southern New Jersey and, of course, to Pennsylvania. George Washington could tolerate the Roman Catholics, but not the Quakers, because they professed pacifism, and Washington feared that they were Tories. Sadly, the new country's entire economy benefited from the slave trade. The slave trade was not just a southern thing. Northern industrialists were making their living from that trade, too. That slave trade, too, was often justified in the name of religion. It is one of the great miracles of religion that African Americans actually found a source of salvation within the white man's religion. They took the slavery story 
of the Exodus, the flight to freedom and into the promised land, and they made it theirs. Such is the way of God. God will not let salvation be confined to only a powerful few. The United States, then, has had our share of divisive and oppressive history, often justified by religion. But something new happened in this country, something for which I give gracious thanks this week. The founders of our country figured out a way to separate church and state in a way that gives enormous freedom to each. Martin Marty, the great church historian, calls the principle of the separation of church and state as large a revolution as was the War of Independence. Today, we have a long way to go. Today, the plurality of various religions and the plurality of so much earnest opinion presents us with another challenge. But the genius of American separation of church and state gives us a noble platform from which to meet that challenge. We can do it. If our early American religious communities found a way to live above their differences, perhaps we can teach the world to live peaceably above those differences too. It is no longer just the Protestants and the Roman Catholics who must learn to trust one another, but now it is the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims, and the Hindus too, and the atheists, and the agnostics. And more acutely, it is the Republicans and the Democrats, the conservatives and the progressives, the capitalists and the laborers, and the police and the protesters. Remember last week's sermon by Brother Fee Smith about how affinities can get in the way of beloved community. Many of us treat our affinity passions as if they were our religious passions. No. Still, our country is based on a principle, a genius that is different from either affinity or religion. In the United States today, even in these recent months of frustration and fear and protest, we enjoy a tremendous gift, the principle of the separation of church and state. By the time of the Declaration of Independence, which we remember this weekend, Americans knew firsthand what religious intoleration was like. They knew what happened when a party or state or country tried to impose its own particular brand of Christianity or its own particular brand of passion on its people. Such behavior 
did not lead to liberty, freedom, and independence. It led to dissension, oppression, and even death. Part of the great American experiment then, promulgated in the United States Constitution, was the disestablishment of religion. No one religion, nor one group's form of religion, nor one group's form of passion, whatever it is, would be the standard of government in this land. We are dependent upon that constitutional principle. This decision was a beautiful one because it allowed the brilliant diversity of American religion and American passion to flourish. The process was influenced, I might add, by some specifically non-religious principles. Principles of liberty and freedom, which emerged from Enlightenment thinkers such as John Locke and even Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson and others hearkened back to the classics of Greece and Rome for guidance. That's why our dollar bill, even though it says, in God we trust, also includes the great seal of the United States with these two sayings, Norvo Ordo Seclorum, a new order of the ages, and Annuit Cetus, he has favored our undertakings. Both those sayings come from the Roman poet Virgil, who lived way before the time of Christ. As a Christian in these United States of America, I give thanks today for the separation of church and state, the separation of passion and government, a separation which allows both religion and state to be truly free. And I give thanks that we are indeed under God. Whether folks acknowledge it or not, I don't mind that the phrase under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance only in the past 70 years in 1954. As Christians, of course, our primary allegiance is always to God. And as Americans, our allegiance is to the Constitution. I give thanks for both on this day. We depend upon love of God and love of neighbor. We all really and truly need each other. We are dependent on each other. Blessings to you, America. God bless America. We have liberation and oppression, both in our history. We have brilliance in our history, and we have stupidity. We are holy, and we are sinful. But God wants to bless us. Blessings to you, America. God bless you. Amen.